This is Who She Knows, a podcast produced by She Knows Media. And this is your host, Elisa Camahort-Page, Chief Community Officer for She Knows Media. Today, we'll be talking about how to keep the peace with family and friends, including online friends, during a heated political season, which we are pretty much smack in the middle of right now. But we'll also talk about when keeping the peace is no longer viable. How do you draw your own lines and make the call to cull your herd, so to speak? With us right now is Elisa Batista. She's the campaign director of immigration at MomsRising.org, an advocacy group for women and moms. And Moms Rising was born out of MoveOn.org. Elisa also happens to be married to Marcos Mulitzas, founder and publisher of The Daily Coast, the largest progressive community blog. So let's just say politics is her vocation and a passion. Elisa, so happy to have you with us today. Thank you for having me here today. This is really exciting. I actually like politics, so I don't mind talking about this at all. (laughs) Me either. (laughs) Uh, And we'll try not to be too confusing having, I don't think I've ever interviewed another Elisa before, so this is a first for me. (laughs) Um, So here's my first question. On the face of it, It sounds like you live in a progressive person's utopia. You work for a leading progressive organization that's affiliated with one of the pioneering progressive online organizations and with your very own progressive at home, too. So do you even ever have political disagreements in your life? Oh, my God, all the time. Um, I think it's worth noting that both Marcos and I came from politically mixed independent households. Mm. Um, You have to keep in mind that my family fled the Cuban Revolution in the 60s, um, and his family also fled a a very bloody civil war in El Salvador um, in 1980. So in many ways, even though we are progressive, we are liberal in terms of our political stances here in the United States, we're also very sensitive and have many conservative family members Mm. and at some points in our younger lives, even conservative political leanings. Ah. So um, not surprising, not just in our own families, but in also our social media networks, it's actually not surprising to have a Republican or two even following us there. So uh, what I'm wondering is, even even if you're a progressive, even if you're you know, lean to the left versus lean to the right, folks on the same side of the, you know, binary ideological spectrum. This year, we've seen it especially. There could be a pretty wide variety of perspectives. Do you find it, um, which do you find harder to handle when you disagree with someone who's just really in a different spot on that spectrum than you or disagreeing with someone where you have a lot of overlap and with whom you mostly agree and then you have these points of contention? Well, I admit sometimes, uh, you know, just being a human being, I'll go to my Facebook page or in one of my progressive listservs, um, there'll be flame wars <laughs> and it will it will get under my skin. And for the most part, I stay quiet because I find that, it, you know, sleeping on it, I usually have a change of opinion. And I'll tell you why. Mm. I think the key base term of progressive is progress. Right. None of us are the same for 20 years, 30 mm-hmm. years. I mean, I really, truly, honest to God, based on my own life experience, as well as seeing people evolve in many different ways, including politically, um, you know, people deserve the chance to listen to opposing viewpoints and and change. Mm-hmm. If, for example, they find themselves in an area that... Um, Well, to to give you an example, we've seen um, not enough progress, in my opinion, but yet some progress on LGBTQ rights, you know, um, but people that may have been, you know, may not have known a gay person 20 years ago, I feel like deserves the chance to to learn and evolve. Mm -hmm. And that can't happen if we forever write people down mm-hmm. in a specific light or say that they're just lost causes. And so um, I, number one, um, you know, I, I, I really believe in meeting people where they're at. And I also believe in the power of allowing people to grow and evolve. 
So if debate is great and civil disagreement can lead to changing hearts and minds, um, what's okay with you? Where do you draw the line? What would become something that you, for instance, moderate out of the conversation or or what would be unacceptable to you as part of a debate? I would say personal attacks, absolutely. Um, for me, I, I feel like there are basic human values, if you will. I personally don't tolerate any attacks based on, for example, bigotry or racism or homophobia. Um, when it gets that personal, then that's when, you know, I'm sorry, but I have to unfriend you or, mm. you know, hide your post. Um, and let's see, most recently, I mean, I've been very fortunate. And like I said, like on the progressive side, I'll bring it up, um, you know, Bernie Sanders versus Hillary Clinton and their mm -hmm. supporters against each other. Mm. I've had some of those like flame, uh, flame wars or threads on my personal media accounts. And mm -hmm. there was only one time where someone came out of the woodwork and personally attacked me and attacked the Daily Coast, which by the way, has not made an endorsement. My husband does have a polling operation and he did point out that, um, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders basically has, unless he won like 80-20, um, all the primaries from like March 15th on, there right. really wasn't a chance, a viable way for him to get the pledge delegates right. to win it without you know, having that overturned. But anyway, some uh, people interpreted that as it, as an endorsement right. of Hillary Clinton and it was nasty. But anyway, someone out of the woodwork came out and attacked me and my husband on my Facebook page and said, you know, really um, inflammatory things towards Hillary Clinton that were very personal. And, um, you know, unfortunately, some of my followers went on and then some of her followers went on. But, you know, eventually she removed the thread. I mm. I think I, w I was very steadfast and said that, um, you know, set the record straight that no, there was never an endorsement. And yes, you know, overturning the pledge delegates is undemocratic. Yeah. You know, I have just basic... Um, you know, for me, I am very pro-democracy, so I do think the popular vote should win. Um, but anyway, she ended up taking it off, and um, to her credit, just to show you that sometimes if you hold, if you don't make it personal, if you don't mm -hmm. uh, do it by personal attacks, mm -hmm. and you stand by just basic principles, democracy, fairness, um, respect for each other, I think you will always win no matter mm -hmm. what. What's your approach in real life? Have you have you had to sort of set boundaries with any real life folks? That's a great question. Um, I do live in like liberal utopia. Berkeley <laughs> is diverse. Uh -huh. People come here from all over the country, all over the world. And there's almost like a refuge. You know, people really um, celebrate inclusivity and diversity and, um, and there are parts of our countries that are very homogenous, mm -hmm. right? So they might crack a joke at someone because they're black or they're gay. And I have put my foot down, especially in front of my children. I said, mm. I, you know what? I, I, those are not my values. I don't want you saying those things in front of my kids or to me. And, um, you know, some of them I would like to think based on seeing, again, the evolution on the Facebook post. Sometimes some of the things they post on Facebook drive me crazy. And I'm like, oh, my God, I kid you not. I had a cousin that posted a picture of himself with uh, Michelle Bachman of Minnesota. And I thought I was going to die. Wow. Um, that's that's serious. <laughs> but, but at the same time, um, having those in-person conversations, I have, they are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But... Um, I feel that a lot of your personal politics are driven by what you know, how you grew up, and also your values. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it and so I always again in those in-person debates, it comes from that. It comes from what are my values? Well, my values are inclusivity, fairness, democracy, and and it, everything. The discussions, the political discussions stem from that. Let me ask you something tactical. When you post something 
um, or on any of your social online spaces, do you have stated guidelines? Like on blogher.com, we had our community guidelines, which we could turn to with regularity to say, here's what's okay and here's what's out of line. And as long as we enforced them fairly against people on the left and people on the right, you know, people couldn't really have a complaint. I have had those guidelines mm-hmm. for, for blogs as well as um, our, any community forum that I'm part of, mm-hmm. um, whether I've created it or someone else has created it, has those guidelines. And those are great ideas. And it's also important to enforce it because right. um, these blogs are communities and you should be protecting your community. It should be a safe space for people. The way I operate with my personal social media channels is that I, for the most part, do not say anything or engage. And I definitely don't engage with trolls or just, you know, um, get rid of them altogether. But I feel like it hasn't been warranted because, mm-hmm. again, I one of my values is also democracy. Mm-hmm. I do feel that um, people that have opposing viewpoints of from mine should have the right to say them. Now they should also have the right to get the consequences, right? You yeah. Know, people might, including some of my followers, may go in and say something to them in the thread. Mm-hmm. But that comes with the territory. But I support their right to, to in our free country, in our democracy, to say those things. I do have another tactical question, which is one thing I've been struggling with is who to allow to comment. Uh, I Most of what I post is public. Some of it is friends only, but most of it is public. I'm talking about Facebook specifically. And I find that I rarely have an actual friend, direct friend of mine, come on and be just a jerk, you know, condescending or inaccurate or hateful. But it's those friends of friends who see that their friend has engaged on the post, who come over, they don't know me from Adam. I don't understand the mentality of someone who comes to a stranger's house and, like, decides to, like, shit in the living room, excuse my language, but um, <laughs> but that's... So I've, I've wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. Should I disallow friends of friends from commenting? And I still allow it, but the only time I ever have problems, really, is with people who I don't know directly who feel comfortable doing that. So tactically, who can comment on your posts? Who do you allow that's really interesting and I've heard people having that issue Mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you my personal Facebook page I try to keep it to people that I know or work contacts Mm -hmm. or because I'm posting about my kids and my family as well yeah so um I'm actually very picky about who I allow to even follow me you're my you're my role model Elisa (laughs) (laughs) I think that comes from um, being in politics as long as we have been. Yeah. You know, I'm looking out during this campaign season. I'm reminded of my husband and I came into politics after the 2000 election, which we felt, and I believe AP also found, was stolen. Uh, and um, <laughs> the 2000 election, remember George Bush yes. and Al Gore? Uh, could not forget. And, and we ended up coming, you know, coming out of the Howard Dean movement. Mm. So in terms of just so over the years, having candidates that you pour your heart and soul into and don't win or, you know, redefining the Democratic Party. It's like and over the years, yes, you have to take in the punches from all sides. Yep. So I think that that is <laughs> that um, that's where that comes from. And well, I think my husband has a way thicker skin than even I do. I can imagine he would have to. <laughs> I admire you both. Um, so thank, thank you, you so much, Elisa, for joining me today. It's been great talking to you. Lots of fun. Um, and uh, I just really appreciate you spending some time and helping us figure this all out. Well, thank you, Elisa, for everything that you do. Our next guest is Liz Mayer. Liz is a longtime Republican Party strategist. She worked with the RNC and with many candidates directly, such as Scott Walker and Carly Fiorina, for various races. And this year, she notably founded the first Republican-led PAC dedicated to the Never Trump movement. It's called Make America Awesome because, as you should know, it's already great. That's that's my uh, editorial addition to that name. Um, Liz has also written for Blogger and participated on many Blogger conference panels. Welcome to the show, Liz. Thank you for having me. And I agree with your assessment. America has a lot of challenges right now, 
But fundamentally, we are still a great country, and the ideas upon which this country were, was founded remain very, very solid. And mm -hmm. uh, I wish that Donald Trump understood that better, but mm -hmm. there you are. Mm -hmm. So I made a few references to your background, but can you give me a little more about uh, you know, what you've been doing in the last, well, how many years you've been working in politics and a little bit more about it? Yeah, I've been in politics for about 10 years now, and... I probably most made my name initially in the 2008 cycle when I went to work for the RNC and became their first and I believe still only online communications director. Um, after that I went uh, sort of more uh, private sector, uh, went into agency life. Um, most of the work that I've done since then uh, has actually been on issues as opposed to for campaigns mm -hmm. but I think that the campaign work that I do you know obviously brings a certain element of notoriety to it mm -hmm. um, I'm a fairly public-facing person and yeah. so a lot of people do know me for the work that I've done for Carly Fiorina for Scott Walker for Rand Paul for Rick Perry um, those are the big names that yeah. uh, I tend to be associated with and then you know of course as a prominent leader in the never Trump movement yeah. The, the the episode that we're um, what we're talking about today is how to keep friends and relationships despite a really heated political season and how to manage that across the ideological spectrum. <laughs> and the thing I the reason I really wanted to talk to you today is because first of all, you have many online friends that I can see that you mix it up with that are clearly on the other side of the aisle, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you're debating in this cycle, obviously, people on your own side of the aisle with the with your work with the PAC. I think America has become very partisan, and I mm -hmm. think a lot of people have tended to define themselves in very politically oriented terms. And while this is the industry that I work in, and this is the profession that I choose, and I obviously care very deeply about politics and policy, it's not the only thing that defines me as an mm -hmm. individual. And I think one of the things that is a little bit toxic in our society right now is that there are a lot of people for whom politics has become the be-all, end-all, and it mm -hmm. is what defines them. Um, I actually probably have more hostile confrontations and interactions with people, or have over the last 10 years, based on what uh, soccer club I support, <laughs> than based on my political philosophy or my political affiliation. Um, on the one hand, I think that says probably a lot that's bad about soccer fans, um, <laughs> but I think that that also indicates that there is some capacity you know, for people being interested in multiple things to actually have relationships with people who don't necessarily share their party affiliation. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's an important thing, and I think that there's oftentimes an assumption that people who work in politics, that's all they are, that's mm -hmm. completely defining. Um, and that's actually not true. I mean, weirdly, I feel like a lot of people who don't work in politics can be more defined by it and more uh, sort of hard and fast about party labels and unwilling to talk to people who bear a different affiliation to them um, than what you find in politics, which is kind of sad. And I think it's a problem for the country. Well, and I also but, you think... Know, I, don't know, I, think, I think another, you know, another thing I would say about that is I'm kind of a libertarian Republican. Mm-hmm. So I have some weird views on things that aren't necessarily what you would see within, I don't know, like if you ask like 90% of Republican elected officials what they think on like 20 or 25 issues, I don't necessarily tick exactly all the same boxes that right. they do. On some, I'm more conservative. On some, I'm more liberal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, when you, when you have kind of an odd political philosophy like that or something that's a fairly minority political philosophy that draws from a couple different things... You know, sometimes that puts you in a position where, A, you have to interact with people across the spectrum more because otherwise you're going to have just a bunch of really unpleasant conversations most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, but also I think it gives you more of a comprehension that there are multiple different ways of tackling an issue. And, you know, I very firmly believe that what I believe is right and is best. But, you know, I also recognize that having a viewpoint that probably at the moment if we are to believe current polling is maybe held by about 10% of the electorate, um, you know, that does that does put me in a position where I kind of have to converse with people and be uh, not necessarily more open-minded in terms of accepting their ideas and advancing that as policy, but at least like hearing people out and, and sort of having debates. So, 
you know, I think that's I think that's a useful thing. Um, but it's certainly it's certainly not the norm. You know, there are a lot of people out there who simply can't deal with talking to anybody who doesn't have the same perspective as them. I think that's sad. And I agree. And I and I do think that the online world. Um, has many, many benefits for broadening one's perspective and exposing you to a lot of different perspectives. But I do think people online, they can become really, really focused and really, really um, one note. And I I think that can't happen in real life because really we know that the majority of Americans are not even thinking about politics like to this day. They're waiting till like October 30th to to care. Um, So out in the world, you can and you have to, to talk about a lot of other things besides politics for a lot of your day. But online, if you want to, you can just dig right in and stay there. Right. No, and I think I think that's absolutely right. I mean, if you go and you look, I mean, I don't follow a lot of people on Twitter, but if you go and you look at who I follow and who I interact with, I mean, you'll see that there is a pretty good cross-section of sort of, you know, philosophies that you're going to see throughout American political life. Um, yeah. But, you know, like the reason that I'm friends with Anna Marie Cox isn't because Anna Marie Cox and I agree about gun policy. We totally don't agree about gun policy, like not even remotely. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do both really care about animals, love animals, um, have pets, love pets, um, care about animal welfare issues. Mm -hmm. Um, We're both people who care very deeply about mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, that's stuff that one of those things is obviously more political than the other. I mean, when you're just sort of tweeting pictures back and forth of like a cute baby wombat, <laughs> like clearly that's not a political thing. But I think it is sad that there are people out there who aren't even capable of doing that just because, you know, oh, my God, she's a lefty and I'm supposed right. to be a righty or whatever. And Right. Well, I used to say that back in back in my pre-blog her corporate tech days, I used to follow the Yahoo Finance boards for the public companies I worked for. So this is in the late 90s, right. you know, uh, early aughts. And some of the discourse there was some of the most appalling trolling horrible, unacceptable speech that I'd ever seen over disagreeing about what was going to happen with a stock price. So, you know, there are people have the capacity to get really over the top about just about anything if you give them a shot. So, um, yeah, no, I think that's right. I think I think that there are a lot of people for whom tribalism is very comforting mm, mm-hmm. um, and they're prepared to get nasty and heated sort of in furtherance of their tribalism. Mm-hmm. So. What crosses a line for you? If you're you've, you're working with talking to all these people across the spectrum, you get into a lot of healthy debate. I've seen you debate, but what what is the like red zone for you that past that point someone is going to be cut off, unfollowed, unfriended? And and is it different for someone that you know in meat space in real life versus an online conversation? I think the big and obvious one that has been thrown up by what we've seen happen with Trump and the action that I've been involved with in trying to stop him is when people uh, make threats against mm-hmm. me or my family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, we, we had a situation a few months ago where somebody called my mother or was very threatening. Um, I am not inclined to provide a lot of latitude or offer a lot of latitude to people who are going to um, get nasty while in their advocacy of Trump when that kind of thing is going on. Um, You know, if it's people who are just being insulting, that's one thing. There was a guy who was like sort of commenting about how he would like to behead me. (sighs) I did report that guy to Twitter. I mean, I did. So I, by virtue of reporting him, obviously, I don't see his tweets anymore. Yeah. So, you know, if you threaten to behead me, that's a line. If if you're going to be somebody who's going to harass my mother or threaten my kid or threaten my husband, that's a line. I think also, you know, some of the, some of the sort of Trump hats who, um, got really excited when one of my cats died last year um, and said that they were glad my cat died of cancer. You know, that, that's a line. Um, it's less of a line than threatening to behead me, but, you know, it's a line. Um, so those are some of the things that are probably recent examples. I mean, other examples that I'll cop to, uh, people who have views that put them in a position of doing things like forcefully advocating for things like China's one-child policy. Mm. Um, which is something that you come across with certain people who are uh, anti-immigration. Hmm. Um, I don't really have much time or tolerance for that. Um, 
I also uh, will totally cop to at one point um, having blocked a guy who was trolling me who uh, persistently refused to recognize the difference between England and Scotland. Oh my, <laughs> my family is Scottish. <laughs> Scottish people take that distinction very seriously. And uh, the guy screwed up and called me English one too many times. Oh and I was like, God. screw that, you're blocked, you're done. So, um, <laughs> But, you know, in general, I, I do try not to block people. Um, one of the things that is a challenge with all the Trump stuff is because you have a lot of people who essentially are paid Twitter trolls, right? Mm -hmm. Like people who, there, there's been demonstrated evidence that a lot of the pro-Trump tweeting is coming from Russia and from Macedonia. Oh. And if you trace that back, some of that Twitter action tends to be the stuff that's like heavily misogynistic, very homophobic, very racist. Um, you know, so because of the heavy volume of that, I don't necessarily block all those people. Um, it's just that, you know, you, you have to have some ability to filter information. And if it's mm -hmm. coming from some guy who's like, you know, paid to try to cause a ruckus in American politics by some agency that's probably associated with the Kremlin, like that's just not a good use of my time. And I'm not going to spend my work day on it. That's all. Well, one of the things I often say, and not everyone agrees with me, is that, you know, if you're getting something horrible tweeted at you, racist, misogynistic, homophobic by like someone with an egg avatar and six followers and a username like Hacksaw378, like don't, right. I feel like anyone who has any following whatsoever should just completely ignore those kind of tweets to share them or retweet them or answer them gives them oxygen, gives them sunlight, and they should just be allowed to wither in, uh, you know, in the dark uh, and be starved. Yeah, I gen generally agree with that. Occasionally, um, there will be an instance where somebody will do something that crosses a line, but they do it in a way that uh, is particularly like illiterate, enumerate, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, just historically oblivious that on the one hand, what they've said is offensive, but it's also like so screwed up that it's funny. <laughs> Occasionally in those cases, I won't usually retweet the person, but sometimes I'll do like a little mild subtweeting about it <laughs> just because just for giggles. Right, right. Well, you know, I've always observed that you have a the people that you do uh, follow and interact with and engage with our diverse group ideologically, among other things. Uh, I really respect that. And I respect that you keep your cool. It's why I wanted to talk to you about this topic. So thank you so much for, for coming on and for sharing how you approach it and, and for being that person who's out there having those rational conversations, even with lots of people who don't agree with you 100%. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, I don't always feel like I'm the most like coldly rational person. And uh, certainly <laughs> there are better examples of it out there. But but I do try. So yep. I appreciate you saying that. Great to talk to you. Talk to you later. You too. Talk mm -hmm. to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye -bye. Our next guest is Liz Gumbiner. Liz is a blogger OG and one of the two co-founders behind Cool Mom Picks and the co-host of Spawned with Kristen and Liz, an award-winning podcast about parenting culture. So Liz is not a political pundit or activist on the face of it, and yet I have seen her never be afraid to mix it up and shout out what she's thinking when it comes to really important conversations that are happening uh, around politics, around blogging and social media, around parenting. So that's why I really wanted to talk to Liz today. So welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me, Liz. Thank you, Elisa. I am so honored, especially coming from you. Thank you. Oh, thanks. So you live in Blue State Extraordinaire, New York, in the progressive, <laughs> the progressive utopia of Brooklyn. Do you ever even have political disagreements in your life? <laughs> <laughs> well, while we are safely a blue state, and I would say a blue borough, it's actually more diverse than you would think. Um, I live right across the river from Wall Street, so mm. you know there's quite a few um, closet Republicans <laughs> in my neighborhood. Who I think are afraid to come out, and of course, a lot of people that come over from Staten Island, who you know that's like a super red borough. Yeah. So, um, so you you might be surprised, but um. You know, I think you get comfortable living in a blue state or a blue city. You know, mm -hmm. I talk to friends who are in Brooklyn or Silver Lake or Austin, you know, these kind of liberal bastions. And mm -hmm. you just assume that you can say something 
in favor of a Democrat. Like anybody could say like, ah, screw Bush, you know, like right. 10 years ago. <laughs> and you would just assume that whoever you were talking to, the waiter, the cab driver, you know, like everybody would nod in agreement. Right. <laughs> High five all the way around. But, um, but you have to be careful because every so often someone will get real quiet and you're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also when you're in the online world, of course, there's a lot more um, diversity of who's out there, who's talking, who's listening. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, actually being online for the last 10 years has really groomed me as mm -hmm. a, a listener mm -hmm. <laughs> and a more open-minded person. And, you know, those who are kind enough to kind of open their hearts and discuss or debate respectfully mm -hmm. and it, let me know what they're feeling, even though they might disagree with me in different ways. Like, that's really helpful. Like, I always mm -hmm. want to try to come at things from a point of understanding from... Mm -hmm the other side. And so uh, actually the online world has helped me a lot with that. I'm definitely less uh, feisty <laughs> than I used to be. Well, yeah, not everyone knows this about me, but before Blogger, I was actually a super partisan political blogger. And when we founded Blogger, we decided we wanted it to be an omnipartisan uh, community and not um, progressive or conservative or anything identifiable. And so I had to like dial it all the way back because I couldn't reasonably invite conservatives to speak at our conference or connect to conservatives to write on our site if I was out there, you know, foaming at the mouth um, as a flaming liberal. So um, and it's really changed the way I talk about politics in mixed company and online and to sort of be more open. For me, too. I mean, I, I completely credit being one of, as you said, the OG bloggers. Um, we, uh, you know, had a, that big group email list for all the CEs, for all the editors, contributing uh -huh. editors. Yep. And a lot of people were political. And it was, you know, one of the first times that I was on this mass email list with tons of women who I didn't know all that well. And I mean, it was everybody from the most raging liberals to <laughs> libertarians, where mm -hmm. you didn't know where they were going to stand, mm -hmm. to like... Dana Loesch, right? right. <laughs> she was among us in the early right. days. She was ah. a little less um, extreme then. But I, the I really learned so much patience and listening and, mm -hmm. and respect from so many of the women from Blog Her that really, they were just amazing at having disagreements mm -hmm. that never got personal or vicious, you know, and, right. and sometimes right. we just learned when to step out. So it was a great right. lesson. And, and I credit you guys for creating that kind of community. Oh, well, thanks. Um, this election cycle, I feel in in my lifetime has been the most contentious on both sides of the aisle within the the Democratic side and the Republican side. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's really been notable to me, um, the conflict I've seen. And what what do you find harder to handle? Disagreeing with someone who's just completely different than you ideologically. I mean, do you, do you debating someone who's on the other side of the spectrum or debating someone with whom you feel like you agree a lot and then somehow, why don't you agree on everything? It's madness. What's, what's harder? <laughs> um, I think, you know, it's not about disagreeing with someone who's, you know, a Republican and I'm a Democrat or somebody who's a Democrat. I really think it comes down to the person, the temperament of the person mm. and how respectful they are. Like, are they open to hearing your opinion? Are they willing to concede points? Are they, you know, are they really interested in learning? And then I'll be interested in learning from them, too. Or are they really just interested in winning? And so yeah. it, it doesn't even matter where they are on the political spectrum. I think if you're a jerk. <laughs> I don't want to engage with you that much. Right. Um, but, you know, I have one friend who's a longtime colleague and yeah. he's definitely a Republican. And sometimes he says things on Facebook that really upset me and I chime in. But yeah. I know he's not going to be a huge jerk to me. Yeah. And sometimes he comes around and sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes he just steps back. But um, but, you know, I don't mind, even though some of his friends are really, oh, God, <laughs> he makes it hard. And then there are some Democratic threads where I'm just not touching it. So I, right. I don't think I think it's about the person. Yeah, I do think it's about the person. And sometimes it's the friends of the friends who cause me trouble. Because to me, if I'm going to go comment on someone's site who I don't know, I'm yeah. like a guest there, right? And and the people who will come on my wall that don't know me, that are coming through a friend of a friend, the things they feel comfortable to say, I'm like, Lordy, this is my living room. What are you doing? Um, I just, well, yeah, I'm, we. I think as bloggers, we've learned to make the rules of our house, right? Yes. And I think that's something that non-bloggers haven't learned probably as well as mm. you know you and I have. Is that you? <laughs> my house, my wall, my rules. Yep, that's such a good point. Although I do hear more and more people saying, this is like my living room. You can't shit in my living room. Um, <laughs> uh, just today, I got into a conversation 
on someone's wall, someone I know but not very well, and, and got into a back and forth. And we were all on the same basic blue side, right? But I was disagreeing about something. And then, you know, he made a really good point. And I'm like, oh, well, that's a totally great point. And this is what I might add to it. And so he came back again and was kind of pushing me some more. And I was like, you know what? I totally hear you. And and he hasn't come back since because I just don't think he knows what to do with someone um, <laughs> agreeing, you know, like, oh, you made a really good point. I, I stand. Some people just want to fight. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, I, I don't know if I stand corrected, but I stand uh, educated. I stand evolved. Well, you're really good at that. I mean, I watch you a lot and learn from you. And for listeners that don't follow Elisa on social media, she is like the master of civil disagreement <laughs> and discussion. Like you really hear people. And I think it's amazing. Thank you so much. I was just going to ask you, how do you define it for you? What crosses a line with you? And I know you're saying you don't want to talk to people who are jerks, but are there specific red, red flags <laughs> that say this is this has gone beyond disagreement into jerkdom? What What's the line? Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, when someone's disagreeing with me, if it's someone I don't know, like on social media, if it's an egg on Twitter <laughs> with a fake name and eight followers, I'm not likely to even engage in the first place because I, you know, I assume they're just trolling. Right. They're not really right. there to learn. I believe in standing behind my mm-hmm. real name and my real photo on social media and owning my words. And so I'm less likely when I don't know the person and they're not like a real searchable mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. But my my rule really comes down to no ad hominem attacks. You know, ideally not on the candidate, but especially not on me. So if somebody seems like they're being civil and they just want to debate or learn or talk or discuss, you can tell pretty quickly if someone is there to escalate a situation or just there to fight or if they're there to, um, you know, converse, you know, like if someone calls me a name, it's done. If somebody says, well, you just think, are you liberals or anybody generalizes, I'm not interested. But if somebody asks questions... Or if they bring up, you know, specific, yeah, I think as women, especially, we kind of learn how to converse. And, um, you know, my mom, who's a great educational consultant, she always says that men tend to use language to create power mm. and women tend to use language to create community. And I, I find that overall to be true. And I don't mean that to be male ba- right. bashing or anything, but I think I think that's true. I think that's kind of biological. Can I, have you noticed? And I, I think that. Oh, sorry. Um, I was going to say, this is something I've noticed in this election cycle that I hadn't noticed before. That is one of the lines that when people cross this for me, I walk away. Everybody wants to leave like 25 paragraph comments. That is not how online communication (laughs) works. Like comments are not. I used to have a rule for myself that if I left a comment that was three paragraphs or longer, it meant I really should write a blog post. And I would go write that blog post because I'm like, why am I coming into someone's mentions or their blog or their Facebook and like completely hijacking it? And that has been so prevalent. And that for me is a line. If you were going to leave 25 paragraphs, you're not interested in a conversation. You want to have a monologue and then have everybody just bow down. So consider me bowed down. I'm out. Um, yeah, I understand that. But I, but you know what? In fairness, you have a blog. And for most people, Facebook yeah. is their blog. Like, that's their medium. Or, you know, the comment section on Daily Beast or whatever. You know, that's that's where they go to write what you would normally write on a blog. So I understand that that's You're, some people's okay. outlet. But I, I agree. <laughs> like, it, you know, once it's a monologue, it's like, come on. The other thing that totally bothers me is, like, moving the goalposts. Uh-huh. That's probably my... After the ad hominem attacks, the number two thing that just makes Mm -hmm. me crazy. So if someone says, well, you know, Hillary did X, Y, Z, and I could say, oh, actually, here's an article that demonstrates that, no, that's not true. They go, oh, yeah, well, she did CYX. Forget it. I'm out. Because that's that's just somebody who's trying to be right. That's not somebody who's trying to learn. And so my best discussions are ones where, you know, we can agree to uh, disagree on some points and that we're both conceding points and, and hearing each other and that I can learn you know, what bothers people Mm -hmm. or what issues they care about or where they're coming from and hopefully grow from that, even if we disagree. But once people are, you know, just in it to win, forget it, I'm out. And and maybe that's a woman thing. I just don't want to spend all day fighting with people. (laughs) But I think that what's interesting is that there's there's a really interesting ideological difference in the on the left between the Sanders supporters and Clinton supporters that I think, um, you know, Both sides agree, yes, income inequality is bad, Citizens United is bad, these things are bad, and there's the lens of income inequality will create trickle-down justice from income equality, all all justice 
follows. And there's the perspective that, no, that's not going to solve everything. So we need to separately kind of address other kind of justice issues. And um, and to me, it's like, why can't we all understand that our ultimate goal, we all want kind of the same thing. We have a disagreement on how to triage, yeah. how to triage to get there. Why does it have to get so a vitriolic. Well, I think it's I think it's still early. I mean, we are recording this podcast right now right. in mid June, right? So we're all going to be singing Kumbaya. Over. The primary yeah. is over. We haven't yet <laughs> had the you know official convention you know statement of the nomination, and so I uh, things yeah. will change. And, and so I I keep saying to people like, look, give it five months. <laughs> we have a lot of time until right. November. I think a lot of the people who are you know frustrated, understandably, or disappointed or sad about Bernie Sanders winning, I really think the majority of them are, you know, would, would never support Trump because it just it defies right. logic, right? But I think there's like a small portion of people who they're not. It's not really about a platform. Like I keep saying, to some degree, I think Bernie is a little bit like the Rorschach mm, candidate. That's interesting. <laughs> and I don't mean that to disparage him. I mean, a lot of people are kind of pinning lots of different hopes and dreams and, you know, different perspectives on him, despite him not actually supporting those things. So I think there's some kind of like burn it down anarchist nihilist yeah. who think when he talks about a revolution, thinks he's talking yeah. about, you know, destroying the country. And they think, well, if not him, then Trump. And so those people, I mean, they're they're not Democrats. They yeah. never were. I don't think they're progressives. And then there's this whole idea of this kind of brocialism. <laughs> you know, there was like a great post on Medium this week from um, no from Marcus brocialism. Johnson. He's so smart. He's smooth cobra with a K on oh, okay. Twitter. I love him. And he said we should call brocialism what it is, white mm. populism. So that's like a whole other interesting perspective. Now, again, like we're both on social media and there's a lot of saber rattling. And I think, you know... As the vote has kind of proven out, there's very, very strong support for for um, Secretary Clinton. It's just that, you know, I don't think they're quite as loud and vitriolic as a whole as a lot of the Bernie people who feel like more emboldened. So it may be like just a, you know, a social media right. effect where we're what yeah. we're seeing is not really reflecting the reality. But I think there's, you know, a, a lot of different people that Bernie appeals to. And in a way, that's really cool. And I'm trying to like learn from that mm -hmm. and figure out what appeals to them. On the other hand, I think, you know, some of them are not. Um, all yeah. There. Well, I, I think about what got laid on President Obama when he was the candidate. I feel like a lot of people on the very left really thought he was some magical progressive that he never purported to be. And then they spent the whole first I agree completely. Like, I always thought that Hillary was I left agree. of Obama um, in many positions in, in 08. And so she was. when. And, and by the way, I supported Obama in 08. I was not supporting Hillary in 08. I, I didn't think she was ready. I thought at that time coming out of the Bush administration, what we needed was kind of the hope and mm -hmm. inspiration and leadership that he was. He was just inspiring yeah. people. And we needed inspiration yeah. then uh, in a way that she wasn't yeah. providing. Although, interestingly, I find she's providing it in yeah. spades right now. But I agree with you. Like, I think, you know, a lot of people thought he was going to be like the magical yep. unicorn giving fairy godfather that was going to like make all our dreams come true even though he's the guy who came about talking about purple right. states right there's no red right. there's no blue he always came about right. as like a moderate uh, right. moderate and a compromiser right so that's i mean to me the the biggest thing that happened that i wish we could go back in time and change was that the and i cause controversy sometimes saying this i actually really blame the far left for congress turning red more than the far right because they abandoned because he wasn't the magical perfect progressive they abandoned him at the midterms and they abandoned him uh, by talking smack about him all the time and then when you look at the full range of what he uh, achieved in his presidency and you know what he somehow managed to get around to all those happy progressive things you wanted and you just didn't get it all in the first hundred days well nobody said you were gonna and I it just frustrated me so much and all I really want is for us to avoid that kind of 
disappointment that leads to in inaction yeah. and um, and turns over our agency to people that we really don't agree with if you're on the progressive side. So, yeah, well, look, we're, we're two older Gen X ladies here. <laughs> you're very kind. I'm actually so the, I think I'm the youngest was... year of the boomers. I'm 1964. You are not. I'm. I'm claiming oh, okay. you. I'm claiming you okay. among the Gen awesome. Xers. <laughs> we call. We get a Lisa. <laughs> but I think I, there was something about like when you hit forty. I had this kind of um, political awakening where suddenly you had twenty years of perspective mm. as an adult, and I really, really saw things differently. Like I, you know, I wasn't like revolution, change the world. Like I really was more. It wasn't that I was less liberal. I just was. I I, I understood better how yeah. politics works. Yeah. I understood how important Congress was, and and to show up for the midterms. And and I don't know if people didn't show up for the midterms because they were disappointed in Obama or because so many people were like all caught up in the big excitement of like, woo, voting for Obama. And then that was over and they went back to like, watching yeah, football. maybe I, I now not to not to Broadway drop or anything, but having seen Hamilton, um, it really makes the point that none of this is actually that new. Like the whole of the vitriol yeah. was happening in the 1780s, the besmirching of character, the backroom dealing, the negotiations and compromise. I mean, I think that's one of the key things I took away from that show. You know, I think it's 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 been ever thus, I think. And and there have ever been people who just take it so um, I don't know if it's it's not that they take it seriously. They 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 take it and i can see it just changes them that they they get so passionate about it they can no longer even speak to someone who doesn't agree with them and i i think that's actually not what moves us forward no, I agree. Although I will admit that I didn't go out with a guy on a second date once many years ago because he told me he wanted to be the next wow. Rush He was a sportscaster on the radio. And I was like, do you do you mean you just want to be a famous broadcaster? He's like, no, I really want to be Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> and I listened to his political podcast that night and I was like, I can never well, go you out do- with you Well, you again. dodged a bullet on that, Liz, I have to say. I remember my therapist saying to me, um, you know, that's not really a good reason to break up with someone. I said, oh, really? you don't know me. Like, I, <laughs> I look at James Carville and Mary Matlin. I don't, I don't know no. how they do it. I could never date somebody who couldn't agree with basic premises that I find essential to my well-being. Well, not only that, but my husband actually does like to be like devil's advocate. He's one of those. He's an engineer. He's used to looking at every angle. And he is one of those people who likes to, like, bring up uh-huh. the other perspective and and it's just annoying after a while. Like, why can't you ever just just why can't you ever just agree <laughs> with me? Like, I don't need to debate uh, every little thing. So it's not even it's not even that. It's just sometimes you just want someone who's going to nod their head and said, "You're right, honey. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing yes. wrong with that." I yes, I've had people like that in my life. Sometimes very close to me in my life who are just are kind of argumentative for argument's sake. And I like I think I used to be like that a mm. little bit more, and maybe I've just mellowed with age. <laughs> it happens, <laughs> but. Um, but I mean, I still have relationships with people that are, you know, I have friends that are Republican or Libertarian or, you know, are, uh, you know, even like within the Democratic mm-hmm. Party that have like different priorities or things that are important. But I think there's certain things to me like gender and racial equality yeah. are so core to who yeah. I am and my belief in that. I It would be hard for me to imagine being good friends with somebody who who couldn't you know, respect people's differences. I just don't, I don't think I can Well, yeah, do I was it. just going to ask, have you ever had to cut someone out? And and sounds like Rush Limbaugh wannabe is someone you had to cut right out. <laughs> well, I think we also have, you know, relatives who yes. either, you know, married in or in-laws. And I have, you know, a, a whole bunch of Mormon in-laws. And so we have a lot of different perspectives on different things, but I find that I can talk mm-hmm. to them about stuff. Um and, and, you know, I do have friends who are maybe more religious and their faith dictates certain things. And so we just kind of agree to leave those things off the table in yeah. our friendship. So I don't like discount somebody just because they don't believe everything I do. But I think anybody who is outwardly homophobic or bigoted or, yeah. you know, um, you know, misogynistic, I just I, I don't have any respect for that. I don't care where yeah. it comes from. I have no patience. And that's the kind of thing I'll call out. Like I've even had friends, it was probably terribly rude, but I've had friends' parents who are like maybe in their seventies or eighties that have said things about, you know, like used a, a you know, said, called people Orientals or something <laughs> like that. And I've called it out. You know, I've been kind about it. But I feel like our generation it's our job to like push 
the other generation the same way our kids are going to push us. Yeah, well, that's for sure. It's uh, we can hope that overall, as they say, you know, the moral arc is bending. And I'll tell you just a quick story. I was fortunate enough to be invited to sit down with Chelsea Clinton mm. last week for an hour. And it happened to be on the uh, the date uh, that um, Hillary clinched the nomination. So it was an amazing day to be in her offices in Brooklyn. I, I remember um, hearing Bill Clinton speak recently and talking about how much Chelsea pushed them on issues of gay marriage, that while they were always, you know, supporters and allies of the community, that, you know, they were not ahead of the curve and that she was the one who would say to them, mom dad like what's the big deal and so I really liked that I thought that was cool that they could admit that and acknowledge that and I think you know that's that's part of what's going on is that we've evolved so much like even the way we talk about people of color or the LGBTQ community you know which has new initials seemingly every year (laughs) like I'm still learning and growing and changing and I think the communities are growing and how they self-define and how we talk about it and from one year to the next you know there's there's growth well, and change and I think it's it's tough to right. follow. I mean I always it. say that if if you're out there advocating or activating um, your whole purpose is to change people's minds. Let's not punish people when they change their minds. Let's celebrate it. One of my favorite videos and I think you've seen this too is from Dan Savage oh. who, you know, he pulls yeah. no punches. He's amazing. He did this uh, video answer to a reader of his who asked about um, Hillary Clinton specifically, you know, originally not being for same-sex marriage even though she was for all the benefits of a domestic partnership as a marriage, but not marriage itself and how she came around and how that really, she's always held that against her. And he just ripped into her. (laughs) And it was interesting as someone who's a strong, you know, advocate and part of the LGBT community. He just said, you know, we work so hard, like what you're saying, to to change politicians' hearts and minds and, and change legislation and make things better. And he said, it's morally bankrupt for anybody to say, I want you to come around to my position. And then the person says, you know what? I hear you. You're right. I'm coming around. And you go, you know what? No, F you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you didn't stand with me before. I'm done with you. He's like, that's just, that's unconscionable. And I, he was very passionate about it. And I like, I thought that was, that was great. That was actually a good lesson for me too. Like about not holding grudges and allowing people to change in my life in all kinds of ways, not just politically. Well, that is some food for thought. I'll have to, maybe I should, yes, be a little more kind and understanding. Uh, that is that is uh thank you i'm gonna i'm gonna try and take that away too love and kindness, love and kindness. Love that's and right kindness. well liz it's been great talking to you i knew we were gonna have a ton of fun connecting after we've been talking so much online over these last few months so thank you so much for joining me uh, on on who she knows and i'm really glad that our audience gets to know you oh thank you so much thank you for having me That's it for this episode of Who She Knows, a She Knows Media podcast. Join us next week when we'll be talking about the impact we women can have when we tell our personal stories. Who knows? Maybe there's a memoir in you. I'm your host, Elisa Camahort-Page, Chief Community Officer at She Knows Media. Please tweet me at Elisa C. Or leave a message for us on the blog Her or She Knows Media Facebook page. We want to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening.